from the Alaska Airline Studio. Presented by 2020lifestyles.com. This is The Blitz. The first look at the top stories in Seattle sports. They don't like who I got. We're not like everybody else. The rundown on everything Seattle sports on your way to work. Swing and a fly ball. Deep right center field. He did it again. And the stories everyone is talking about. This is the Blitz at Six. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Blitz at Six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Tuesday, June 9th. Ahead in this hour, our first opportunity to hear from New Seahawk Carlos Hyde yesterday speaking with media, also giving his thoughts on everything going on in America right now and how the NFL can start to move towards change. He advocates for Colin Kaepernick being signed. We'll hear from Carlos Hyde. Also in this hour, other big name players speaking out on the NFL's response, the the video that Goodell made last week. And how about owners who have been somewhat silent right now? Will we hear from them coming up? Also ahead in this hour, DeAndre Hopkins and Deshaun Watson petitioning Clemson. Dabo Swinney responding And Theo Epstein, also of the Cubs, he vows to be better in his hiring practices. Hopes baseball follows suit. Speaking of which, baseball, they're in a tough spot right now. What the players could respond to MLB's latest proposal. All ahead in this hour right now. Let's get to your headlines. It's our first opportunity to hear from Carlos Hyde yesterday, the new Seahawk, on why Seattle was a good fit for him. I mean, it's been a it's it's been a place that I've always wanted to play ever since I I left San Francisco. Um, just you know, going against the guys for you know four years of my time being in San Fran. Um, I just seen you know how they always ran the ball all the way back to when Marshawn was there. You know how they was a big running team, um, and you know the ways they ran the ball. I just felt like you know it was you know a, a strength of my game. You know, you see a lot of gun runs. I did a lot of gun runs when I was coming out of coming out of uh, college. Did a little bit more with Chip. Did a lot more, you know, this past season with uh, with Houston, and um, you know, and I had good results from. I had my first Thursday, first Thursday, thousand, uh, thousand yard season, and yeah, and it also gives me an opportunity to be closer to my son and my girl. They both live in the Bay Area, so you know, I get to go there once once a year, and they. They can come visit me a lot easier. 16 games he played for Houston last year, and as he mentioned, over 1,000 yards. Uh, 1070 to be exact for Carlos Hyde, 29 in his last season. On what worked for him well last year with Houston? It was kind of, I got traded week one, so I, I never I never was able, I never learned the full offense like the rest of the guys. I was just learning bits and pieces. I pretty much was learning the game plan for the week, which is, you know, a lot easier than having to learn a whole playbook. So it was easier for me to just, you know, to dial in. Um, I knew I wasn't going to have to know every every play. Uh, I knew it was going to have Duke in on third down. So it was easier for me to, you know, lock in on what I had to do. I knew they wanted me to be a runner, uh, not so much in the passing games. Carlos also mentioning uh... – he was in San Francisco 2014-2017 on having some familiarity with offensive line coach Mike Solari after spending a year together in San Francisco. You know, I just I just found out recently that Solari was the coach, O-line coach. Um, <laughs> you know, I found out it was because I, I was on Zoom and um, 
I was going through the screens and I'm like, wait, that's Coach Love. So I didn't even know. But um it's for me it's like, you know, good to see a familiar face. I'm sure he he had something to do with me uh coming in uh to Seattle. Um it's been a while, you know, since I've been around Coach Lar, you know, I've I've been around a bunch of coaches, you know, since I left San Fran. So it's been a while, but you know, yeah. I just, I haven't seen him in a while, so you know it's been a while. I, I I gotta I gotta say what's up to him when I get there. On the running back room here in Seattle, Carlos Hyde is stu- discussing Rashad Penny and Chris Carson. He said they're already established and have been great here in Seattle, but he wants to come in and compete. You know, I introduce myself to the guys, and you know they introduce themselves, and um, you know just guys looking forward to you know competing. It's definitely going to be competition, you know, with Carson and Penny, guys that's already been there, you know, that's already established. So you definitely got to come in and compete. You know, you're trying to come in and take take a guy's job that's already been there. Um, Carson, you know, he's been putting up a thousand yards like uh, like it's nothing, you know, each year. So it's definitely, you know, tough coming in and trying to, you know, replace a guy like that. But um, I'm definitely open to the competition. You know, it's not my first year in the league. You know, I'm going on year seven, so I'm used to competing. You know, it brings out the best of me. So, you know, I'm looking forward to it. Carlos Hyde also mentioning that he'll play and fill whatever role the team needs him to. You know, whatever, you know, it boils down to, or whatever coach, you know, asks me, you know, this is this is what we need you to do. You know, I'm all for it. But, um, you know, I'm coming in, you know, right now, you know, with the mindset, I'm trying to be that guy, you know, every down back, you know, um, you know, be the guy for their team. Carlos Hyde was teammates with Colin Kaepernick with the 49ers back in 2016 when the quarterback began protesting racial injustice and police brutality against African-American people by kneeling during the national anthem. Hyde believes that an NFL team signing Kaepernick would show that the league is serious, is putting their money where their mouth is about doing its part to improve issues of racial inequality. Uh, What can the NFL do? The NFL, I think the NFL can start by sign the cap back. I think if they sign a cap back, that'll uh, that show that they're really trying to move in a different direction um, because Cat was making a statement four years ago um, about what's going on in today's world and um, the NFL didn't bother to listen to him then. So I think they should start by doing that. Um, after that, you know, I'm not really sure, you know, what the NFL can do. I see they, they said they was donating money Honestly, I'm I'm not I can't really give you a, a good answer on what the NFL needs to do. I think it's uh it's something the racism in this world is deep rooted in this in its in this world. I don't think what the, the NFL is gonna change anything with that. Um so personally I, I really don't know. Uh, a lot of people, you know, searching for answers at this time, but Hyde pretty clear on one move he thinks that the NFL could make. They were teammates. He was with Kaepernick from 2014 to 2016. And uh, Hyde saying that he supported Kaepernick's peaceful protest in 2016, but at the time admitted that he was more worried about football. Well, we've heard from the players last week on uh, their 114-game proposal that they had with MLB. And at the time, Major League Baseball said that they wouldn't be negotiating any further. 
and they offered the players the opportunity to essentially negotiate with themselves. Players weren't really interested in that prospect. But then yesterday, we heard a new proposal now by by the owners. And how? what were the details of this? Carl Ravitch, I believe, breaking this news yesterday. So uh, here is him explaining the 76-game proposal. Well, this morning, Major League Baseball sent a proposal to the Players Association, uh, basically looking at the 114-game proposal that the players had made and the 82 games that were out there at one point and moving off this 48- to 50-game schedule and saying, we are now willing to play 76 games, more games than 48 and 50, 76 games. The prorated salary will be at 75%. There's no sliding scale, which was uh, a thorn with a lot of the folks in the Players Association that certain players were getting penalized more than others. This is a 75% of your full salary over the course of 76 games for everybody. Major League Baseball got rid of what was uh, always an issue for players, draft pick compensation. There was the idea that teams would be reluctant to sign a player. Yankees signed Garrett Cole. They forfeited a future draft pick. That will be eliminated, which will allow teams to sign players and not lose a future draft pick. There will be a compensation pick given to these other teams. It is an effort, at the very least, to show that Major League Baseball is interested in playing more baseball games. They do want to play more games. That was something the association and there was some narrative out there that Major League Baseball is not interested in more games. If the players and early reaction to this from the players is we want 100 percent of our salary and that's it. If that is, in fact, the line in the sand or even the line in the cement, I think we're going to be looking at a 48 to 50 game season, which will start at some point in July end in September with the playoffs in October. This generates roughly, according to a source, $200 million more in salary to the players. And rather than what feels like an olive branch, uh, it feels more like a thorn bush that they don't want to touch. Now, I know Jeff uh, Passon's going to come on a little later and uh, give some more of the uh, player response, but this has to do with the 76-game season, There is no 114 games on the table because health experts are suggesting there's going to be a real likelihood of a second outbreak of uh, coronavirus. And having a season interrupted or a postseason interrupted would be economically catastrophic to both sides. Carl already knew that Jeff was going to be on. Of course, he was uh, speaking about MLB players' possible response to owners. I have not seen the players coalesce around an idea of getting full 100% pay on their salary. As I haven't seen them coalesce around an idea like I have seen them do that right now. They want their full prorated salary. And under the terms of this deal, Major League Baseball is offering the same thing it did the first time around, 50% prorated pay, only there would be more money on top of that via playoff games, which would take them up to about 75%. It's not going to get done at this rate. And the question at this point is, what do the players counter with? Major League Baseball is hoping to have an answer back by Wednesday because every single day, Hannah, that there is not an answer is a day that we don't have baseball. What is the latest possible start time also on the 48-game season that MLB could go ahead and implement? We'll talk about that next. Also, how will the NFL support players 
peacefully demonstrating uh, this season, which inevitably will happen. It's next on The Blitz right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. Welcome back to The Blitz at 6. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Tuesday, June 9th. Thanks for hanging out this morning. We've been discussing Major League Baseball's conundrum, well, whether they find themselves right now, and two parties uh, that are on the opposite sides of the chasm, it would seem. And MLB floating their latest proposal to the players yesterday, which included a shorter season, well, uh, shorter than the 82 games that they originally proposed, and also included an increase in their salary offer from the sliding scale proposal. But Jeff Passan yesterday saying, well, the players, they found this even more insulting than the last offer. And it could be that MLB will end up implementing the 48-game season, which they believe they have the the power to do based on that March agreement that they had. From a high-ranking official today that were uttered to me, there will be baseball. If it happens, though... In the absence of a deal between the sides, it could be in the form of a 48-game season, which MLB has the ability to implement without the consent of the players. At that point, the players would just show up, play the game, file a grievance for the fact that MLB did not play a full season, and this thing would be fought out behind closed doors. And keeping in mind that CBA negotiations have to happen soon as well, Jeff Passan on MLB's desire to expand playoffs that's been a big part of this discussion it could mean expanded playoffs in mlb's proposal today it wants the right to expand the playoffs from five teams to as many as eight from each league we could have a 16 team playoff we could have a 14 team playoff there are all sorts of machinations going on right now but if there is a 48 game season that is unilaterally imposed by the league there are going to be no expanded playoffs because that is a right that the players have to come and agree with for it to happen a lot of good news positive moves happening in other sports leagues we know the nba will be back uh july 31st in the disney world bubble and more details on that later in this hour including their 100 page health and safety protocols outline but uh, the nhl making positive steps mls uh buster only though mentioning that baseball really had an opportunity to be the first professional sport to return, and as a result, uh, because they are still squabbling over essentially money, uh, baseball has done significant damage to him to itself. This now has dragged on for so long that even if they get a resolution this week, and there are flickers of hope that uh, that might happen, they've already done enormous damage to the sport. Uh, the fact that they have ceded the opportunity to be the first ones to own the stage by themselves. Uh, because all these other sports have moved along and have begun preparation, and uh, a lot of people are focused on the NBA, on the NHL, you know, on the NFL. That that opportunity is lost. And- Buster only also talking about some of the statements on both sides that have been somewhat tone deaf. The tone deaf statements on on both sides tell you that you know Blake Snell uh, with what he said uh, at a time when at that time there were over 20 million people had lost their jobs. That's no over 40 million people. Last week, Tom Ricketts, the chairman of the Cubs, uh, like Blake Snell, when he came, Tom Ricketts came out and spoke last week, there certainly were elements of truth in what he was talking about. 
But in reading the, the story, the great story that was done by my colleague, Jesse Rogers, I was just shaking my head thinking, wait a second. Uh, you know, all these people have lost their jobs. So many people have lost their lives. Family are dealing with loss. You have protests all around the country, and you have a billionaire talking about his cash flow problem. No. <laughs> people are not <laughs> going to want to hear it. Ricketts uh, quoted as saying that the losses for them will be biblical, which seems uh, a bit hyperbolic to say the least. Buster, only also on the deep level of mistrust that these two parties have and how this is going to come to a breaking point soon. They need to reevaluate the relationship. I really feel like that both sides, when, whenever they get the resolution of what's going to happen in 2020, both sides need to do an internal audit and assessment of how they got to this place that they have such a toxic, destructive relationship with the other side. Uh, on the player's side, they really have not done uh, a full assessment of the damage that was done by uh, their leadership in their 2016 CBA agreement. They lost hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars in, fin- in the financial landscape. Uh, and in that strategy in 2016, just as it is now, is brinkmanship. Well, maybe that doesn't work. Maybe there's a better way to do it. You know, previous uh, labor leaders have done more of the barter and talk uh, over long-term type approach. Uh, I I think they have to take a look at the metrics of where player salaries have gone down in recent years. And on the owner side, look, uh, you know, they they might be saying, why are the players so suspicious of us? Why why is there no trust? Well, maybe it's because of tanking. Yeah, (laughs) tanking and, and service time manipulation. Uh, More to come on that in this hour, but up next on The Blitz, ESPN's Brady Henderson joining 710 to talk about Carlos Hyde, his introduction to the media yesterday, where he'll fit in in the running running back room alongside Rashad Penny and Chris Carson next on The Blitz, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. From the Alaska Airlines studio, this is The Blitz. Welcome back to the Blitz at six. Lydia Cruz alongside with you Tuesday, June 9th. Never want to talk over blue scholars. It's just a rule in my household. Yesterday on Bob, Dave and more, the guys were joined by ESPN's Brady Henderson, who uh, had some thoughts on Carlos Hyde, the new running back edition and where he'll fit in alongside Chris Carson and Rashad Penn. Talking some football with our buddy Brady Henderson. He covers the Seahawks for ESPN.com. Brady, how are you, man? I'm doing great. I appreciate the bumper music that you brought me in with there, Kings of Leon. How are you guys doing? You got good taste, my friend. Very good taste. Uh, we're 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 all good. We're all good. You know, still still doing shows from our home and dealing with delays and technical difficulties, but we're powering through it because we're professionals. By God, that's what we do that's here, right. Brady. Uh, so, uh, hey, let's let's talk about the Seahawks. You were on the uh, latest Zoom uh, press conference or media conference with with Carlos Hyde. And we played some cuts from him earlier in the show, and we, I think we all agreed. We love his attitude that he's like, yeah, listen, I know Chris Carson's there and, you know, showing all the respect, and I'll do what the coaches asked me to do, but I'm coming in there to start. I'm coming in there to be the guy. What, what did you take away from, his, uh, from those statements and, and the rest of what he had to say? 
Yeah, he also acknowledged, you know, the reality that I, I think he said something to the effect of, you know, everybody knows who the starter is in Seattle. And so um, I think that part of it was kind of refreshing, knowing that he, he's acknowledging what, you know, I think most people uh, and, and he believe is that, you know, this is Carson's job. And then, you know, they really signed him to be, based on my understanding, to be an early down compliment uh, to Chris Carson and to, to compete with, you know, Rashad Penny. Uh, for those reps once Penny comes back. And, um, you know, I know some people probably would have would have preferred to see Devontae Freeman in there. I know Russell Wilson would have preferred Devontae Freeman in there. Um, two different running backs there. You know, Freeman would, would have been more of an option on third down as a receiver out of the backfield. And I think there was, you know, even when the Seahawks had an offer out to Freeman, there was some preference in the organization to hide uh, just because as a bigger running back, you know, six feet, 229 pounds, um, you know, he would be able to run, you know, to, to handle sort of that power running game uh, in a way that you know, a much smaller guy like Freeman could not. So that's going to be his role as, as an early down compliment uh, to Chris Carson. And then he's going to be competing with Rashad Penny for those types of reps once, whenever Penny comes back. Hey, Brady, we talk to the professor all the time about, um, about uh, Dunbar and uh, and what's going on with him and so i just thought i'd check in with you if we know anything more i mean where would you put his chances to play do you think there's going to be a suspension based on on what you've read and heard about quentin dunbar yeah uh, i have been uh, digging into that situation to try to find out you know anything that i can and nothing that i can report right now but you know what i do know is that you know you've got to you've got to look back at the jaron reed situation from last year um, remember, he was not arrested or suspended uh, from that incident that was, you know, in, I think April of 2017. And yet he was, I'm sorry, he was not arrested or charged with anything, I should say. And yet he was still suspended by the NFL. Um, so that's a reminder that even if, you know, the legal situation uh, plays out with Dunbar and he's not, um, you know, charged with anything, you know, the NFL could still come back and suspend him. Maybe, um, you know, they come after him for, for gambling. They determined that he was, you know, part of the gambling that was going on there, and they come down on him for that. Um, whatever it is, I would just remind people that even if he, you know, even if he uh, is cleared legally, the NFL could take action of its own. Hey, Brady, uh, you want Russell to cook, or where are you with that? Do I want Russell to cook? Um, you know, I, I think that the Seahawks, here's, here's my official answer. I think the Seahawks would be better served in situations to uh, – yeah, to to put the to not take the ball out of Russell Wilson's hands in in ways that I think that they have in the past. Um, I don't necessarily think that means there's an X number of attempts that you've got to give him a game. I think it's more um, you know situation based, and maybe maybe going to some of that up tempo offense earlier in games. Maybe um, you know the, the the single game that sticks out in my mind is as really hard to to comprehend was that playoff game against the Cowboys at the end of the 2018 season when they were running into a brick wall and continued to run the ball um, even when it wasn't working. So it, it's more so situations like that as opposed to just saying, I think Russell needs to throw the ball 40 times a game. I, you know, I, I understand why you know, they want to play football the way Pete Carroll wants them to is um, you know, the, the fewer you know, times you throw the ball in general, you know, the better chance you're going to have of taking care of the ball. And, and that formula, I think, has worked for the Seahawks. There's just situations where I think that they could sort of deviate from that and, and put the game in Russell's hands more than they have. 
ESPN's Brady Henderson on Bob, Dave, and more. Full interview available, 710sports.com. Just click on that podcast tab. Also yesterday on Tom, Jake, and Stacy Mariners Insider, our own Shannon Dreher, joining, uh, joining that show to discuss how MLB would restart the season and a special focus on the Mariners. You've got a piece up on 710sports.com right now that fans can check out talking about what the Mariners' spring training plans uh, are going to be or could be. Can you explain that? So they left off in Peoria a couple of months ago. Now it sounds like they're going to be up here? That is their preference. And it is up to the individual teams if they do restart a season and if there is a spring training. They can either play in their spring training homes or they can get ready in their home ballparks. And uh, that was allowed because uh, every part of the country is just at a different place right now, so they wanted to give the teams the flexibility to do that. And for a long time, the Mariners were believing that they would be on kind of the later end of things opening up in Seattle. And uh, I I think the last I had heard that they – uh, thought that it, maybe even some early games, if they played in early July, might be in jeopardy. But at some point in July, they would be allowed to get into the building and play games. Well, the governor came out last week and uh, made uh, you know a set of very meetable criteria for teams to go back to for professional teams to go back to their facilities and, and work out. So that's what the Mariners were hoping for all along. They didn't like the idea of having to relocate twice. Um, they are set up to to go to work in Arizona if need be. They have got guys who have been working out there for almost two weeks right now. They've got all sorts of safety protocol that are put in place that will look a lot like what you see up here if there are games. But their preference all along was to limit it to just one move for as many people as possible and have that spring training at T-Mobile Park. And that, of course, would not be open to the public. Okay, so spring training not open to the public up here, but as they transition out of spring training, if we have a season, I mean, they're going to be playing their home games here at T-Mobile Park. And you've been following this story both from a Seattle perspective and a national perspective, Shannon. Does Would every team theoretically be playing in its home park, or might some of them also be playing in their spring training facilities? It's up to where they're at right now, and it sounds like most teams have got clearance to get back into their ballparks, and there are a number that have come out and said they would like to play, uh, they would like to prepare or do their spring training in their home parks as well. And it, this is kind of where there's uh, some inequities, and I guess you could remedy that by playing in your spring training ballpark. One of the advantages to playing in Arizona or playing in Florida was you could set up conceivably games with other teams. You can't do that at home. Uh, another advantage to playing in Arizona is you've got the bigger facilities. You've got a lot more pitching mounds, a lot more fields to play on. Uh, they don't have that. You've got a bigger weight room there. And a lot of adjustments are going to have to be made in that a lot of the health uh, procedures and, and protocols that uh, we have heard about that have come out of the health end of the agreement that they are trying to get with baseball right now is that they would like to move a lot of things outside. Uh, so you can spread out, so you have the fresh air, so there's less chance of anything happening. Well, the facilities in the home ballparks, as good as they are, are a lot smaller and don't allow for that. But in some places, uh, their their states are more open, and they can go to additional facilities and work out, or they have nearby minor league uh, facilities that they can work out. So it's different across the board, but uh, everything's pretty consistent in Florida and Arizona. So that's up to the team 
to decide what they think is best for them and what they could give and take on. Maybe it's not so important that they play against another team. Maybe they will be satisfied with inter-squad games, but that's for spring training. When you get into the regular season, you know, it, it, it all depends on what where they are with their locales. It sounds like most can play in the games. And I mean, this is an interesting one. It came out last week uh, in Texas. They have actually approved fans in the stands. It turned out uh, the governor there said that they could play at 25% capacity pro teams. And a week later said, oh, let's up that to 50, with no games being played in between. But that is something that uh, was a report that came out that said that Major League Baseball is actually uh, considering letting the Astros and letting the Rangers play with fans in the stands, even if others couldn't, because it's allowed where they're at. That was Shannon Dreher, our own Mariners insider. You can read that great piece up on 710sports.com. Up next on the Blitz, a couple of former Clemson players, not just a couple, several, but some definitely big name ones in the NFL right now are petitioning the university to remove a name from the school's honors college because that person was a noted slave owner. We'll hear from both DeAndre Hopkins and Deshaun Watson next on the Blitz, as well as Dalvin Cook, a running back, holding out now, putting himself in a position as several before him, like Ezekiel Elliott, Le'Veon Bell. But will this pay off for him? It's next on the Blitz, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. You're listening to The Blitz from the Alaska Airlines Studio. It's time for The Hot List. Holy mackerel! The headlines for the day in sports every morning at 645. Heck yes! What are we missing here? A full breakdown of the top stories of today on your morning drive. Let's go! We know the NBA is moving towards their 22 team return in Orlando in Disney World, the Disney World ESPN campus. But what we haven't heard a lot talked about is what will happen, how teams will handle a positive test for COVID-19. We know that health and safety protocols will be a huge part of this. Adrian Morjanowski, though, explaining yesterday how teams will go about handling a potential positive case. You know, you talk to teams about in the event a player does test positive for COVID, it's going to be at least a seven-day quarantine for that player, perhaps even as many as 10 to 14. But chances are teams will try to get that player back in the lineup if their season is still going versus flying somebody in who's probably a marginal player, waiting for him to quarantine, and then putting him on the court when he hasn't been practicing anywhere. I think you'll see most teams, if players do test positive, is to hope they can wait it out and then reintroduce them back into the team. Brian Windhorse also explaining yesterday that teams still trying to figure out how the Disney protocol will work. Sometime in this next week, the NBA is going to issue to its teams what is being called the protocol. I don't know what sort of name they will actually give it, but for right now, we're calling it the protocol. And it is the rules of the road for the Disney bubble. And... I was talking to a couple of general managers over the last three days, and they were, first off, the teams, oh, I think even since Friday, there's been a little bit more learned. The teams don't seem to know that much about the rules, um, unless people are keeping secret from me. But they're asking each other, like they're sort of crowdsourcing each other. Hey, what did you hear? What did you hear? Because they're not sure what the rules are going to be. Brent Windhorst saying that they will be extensive. He mentioned 100 pages at one point and uh, said that also 
because of the environment, the campus-like environment where they'll all be living in this bubble, uh, players will end up being fans uh, to a certain degree. I think what will happen is people are talking about how there won't be any fans there. I think there will be fans. It'll be the other players. I yeah. think the players, awesome. when they have an off night, that's a good. That's a good. That's a good thought, right? What else are you going to do when it's sit in a hotel? Yeah, like <laughs> like uh, uh, if if the Lakers are off the night of the first Thunder game or the Thunder playoff game, I could see LeBron coming over and cheering for Chris Paul, uh, or you know maybe not cheering, but you know taking the game in, you know, and uh, you know that's <laughs> that's what they're going to do. There was also some rumors flying around that there could potentially be a documentary being filmed about this, a windhorse uh, on that potential rumor. I mean, I was talking to one guy yesterday. He's like, there are so many layers to this. Like, there, there's going to be potentially some amazing stories that come out of this. I don't know if they're ever going to get told because the media presence at this thing is going to be very small, I believe, and very controlled just for viral reasons. Um you know, the players are going to have to tell their story themselves. Um, I, there has been talk of a documentary being made about this, but I don't know how realistic that is. Again, in other words, uh, like sort of NBA entertainment doing it where, you know, it's sort of sanctioned and the people are in there. Uh, I don't know if that can happen if you're trying to limit access. That said, this is something historic and there is value in documenting it. Um, maybe we're all just loving the the Jordan documentary so much, and now they capitalized on that idea that was seemingly so ahead of its time and saw the response, the public response to that. So potential for a documentary to be made about this very unique moment in sports history. Clemson head football coach Dabo Swinney on Monday defended his response to an assistant coach's use of a racial slur during a practice three years ago. Nearly a week after assistant coach Danny Perman apologized for using the slur, Swinney made his first public comments about the incident in a taped message posted to the team's website. Dabo said former tight end DJ Greenlee and Perman were on a separate part of the practice field when an argument happened in 2017. Greenlee told the state newspaper, quote, me and coach got into it and I was speaking with one of my teammates. He heard me use the N-word basically and basically tried to correct me by saying the N-word back. Swinney and Greenlee approached him privately to discuss what happened. According to Swinney, Perman was profusely apologetic. In a statement last week, Perman said he made a grave mistake when he repeated the word to try to stop it from being used on the practice field. But Swinney uh, repeating it yesterday that he, quote, oh, I would fire a coach immediately if he got if he called a player an N-word, no questions asked. But that did not happen. Absolutely did not happen. It has not happened. So uh, he explained in this video uh, that and uh, more also addressing Monday. Um, he was uh, sorry <laughs> that uh, one of his players insinuated uh, that Swinney sort of dissuaded players from participating in a 2016 sit-in on campus that addressed issues related to diversity training and minority faculty and enrollment. Swinney addressed that Monday as well in the video saying, quote, we had players participate in the psych sit-in. I would never tell someone they could not participate in something they believe in or exercise their basic right. But as a coach, our job is to teach, educate, protect, to inform. Sarah Spain, Jordan Cornett on uh, Spain & Co. yesterday talking about Dabo's video message and 
maybe just a little general lack of awareness. He's answering to a lot of things, and including that is also the shirt that he wore in a picture that wasn't planned or put out intentionally, but did, you know, end up out on social media when fans asked him for a photo that said, football matters. And Bamani Jones very rightly said in a thread about Dabo's recent uh, 14-minute video that if he's going to demand that players who participate in any social issue-related statement or protest really think hard about what they're doing and what it means to be involved, that he can also be asked to think really hard about what it means to put on a Football Matters shirt in the midst of a protest and movement that's called Black Lives Matter. And that is a very good point, Jordan. Yeah, it's a great point. To me, I I get that there could be a gray area feeling for him there because it pertains to a slogan that is ultimately doing good. But that gray area that he may sense speaks to how wholly unaware he is. And this is a guy that is a leader of a lot of young men, and a lot of those young men are black. So to me, that shows how out of touch he must be Mm -hmm. if he doesn't even see when he puts on that sweatshirt to say, oh, this could be interpreted a wrong way. I think Dabo put that on having no idea in any way that somebody could be offended by that. And for the years that this Black Lives Matter slogan has been around, to not be able to connect those dots is the problem there. Dabo's not a problem. Dabo has a good heart. I I do believe that. But it's the ignorance and the the non-understanding of some fundamental things when you're molding so many young black lives, that's why these voices and that's why people are speaking up to try and change the course of that method of thinking. Dabo uh, saying he got that shirt from the National Football Foundation as part of an initiative, and the foundation tweeted over the weekend that it will change the name of the campaign. Former Clemson players DeAndre Hopkins and Deshaun Watson are petitioning the university to remove the name of John C. Calhoun from the school's Honors College, with Hopkins noting that the slave owner's influence is the reason he does not mention the university's name when he's introduced before NFL games. Calhoun, who served as vice president under John Quincy Adams from 1825 to 1829, advocated for slavery, saying it was, quote, a positive good. The Clemson campus is built on Calhoun's Fort Hill Plantation, where, according to his bio on the school's website, he enslaved 70 to 80 African-Americans. Hopkins wrote on his Instagram, quote, I felt this oppressive figure during my time at Clemson and purposely do not mention the university's name before NFL games because of it. I'm joining the voices of the students and faculty who have restarted this petition to rename the Calhoun Honors College. I urge all Clemson students, football players, and alumni to join us so that the next generation of young black leaders can be proud of the institution they graduate from. Now is the time for change. Uh, both Hopkins and Watson, former teammates with the Houston Texans, before Hopkins was traded during the offseason to the Cardinals, tweeted a link to the change.org petition that demands uh, Clemson, quote, remove John C. Calhoun's name from one of our most distinguished academic programs. So if you are interested in that, uh, both uh, Deshaun Watson and DeAndre Hopkins tweeting out that link to that change.org petition. Minnesota Vikings Pro Bowl running back Dalvin Cook will not participate in any team-related activities unless he receives what he determines to be a, quote, reasonable deal, according to Adam Schefter's new report. This offseason, Vikings gave quarterback Kirk Cousins, who had one year left on his deal, an extension worth $30 million per year. Cousins will make $150 million over the next five seasons. And thus far, the Vikings' contract uh, proposals to Cook, as a result, 
have demonstrated they're a quarterback first team. Cook has one year at $1.3 million left on his contract. He's 24 years old now, finds himself into a similar spot as other running backs like Ezekiel Elliott, Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley, Melvin Gordon, David Johnson. And Johnson traded this offseason to Houston, makes $13 million per year. Cook wants to match, if not surpass, that total. Dalvin Cook finished last season with 13 rushing touchdowns, tied for the second most in a season in Vikings history, second only to Adrian Peterson, scoring 18 back in 2009. Carlos Hyde, speaking of running backs, uh, introduced in Seattle to the Seattle media. Uh, he explained why Seattle felt like a good fit for him. He very familiar with this division and having played for San Francisco for four years. Uh, he said he always wanted to play in Seattle after leaving San Fran because he saw how they love to run the ball up here. Uh, what worked well for him last year, his first 1,000-yard season? Here's Carlos explaining. It was kind of, I got traded in week one, so I, I never I never was able, I never learned the full offense like the rest of the guys. I was just learning bits and pieces. I pretty much was learning the game plan for the week, which is, you know, a lot easier than having to learn a whole playbook. So it was easier for me to just, you know, to dial in, um, I knew I wasn't going to have to know every every play. Uh, I knew it was going to have Duke in on third down. So it was easier for me to, you know, lock in on what I had to do. I knew they wanted me to be a runner, uh, not so much in the passing games. Carlos Hyde, also former teammates with Colin Kaepernick, teammates uh, from 2014 to 2016, but also mentioning specifically in that year, 2016, uh, he supported Kaepernick's peaceful protest nonviolent demonstration uh, about police brutality, about racial inequality. And Carlos Hyde was asked about what can the NFL do to help fight that racial inequality? Uh, what can the NFL do? The NFL, can, I think the NFL can start by signing cap back. I think if they sign cap back, that'll show that they're really trying to move in a different direction um, because Cat was making a statement four years ago um, about what's going on in today's world. And um, the NFL didn't bother to listen to him then. So I think they should start by doing that. Um, after that, you know, I'm not really sure, you know, what the NFL can do. I see they, they said they was donating money. Honestly, I'm, I'm not, I, I can't really give you a, a good answer on what the NFL needs to do. Uh, I think it's, uh, it's something the racism in this world is deep rooted in this in its in this world. I don't think what the, the NFL is going to change anything with that. Um, so personally, I, I really don't know. It'll be a big moment for the NFL, for the league. We heard from Roger Goodell in his video last week, but also a lot of people wanting to see the owners stand up in this moment, moment including Dominique Foxworth of the Undefeated. The hottest place in hell is reserved for those who remain silent in times of moral conflict. So I think they should think about that while they have this opportunity to speak up or just sit on the sidelines um, with tape over their mouths. They should be honest with themselves, though. Like, be, be true to who you are. I don't understand why they need to be concerned about upsetting people when something as significant as this is going on. Like, I would understand that if there was a, a secretary who didn't want to upset her boss. Like, how much money do you need to be free? How much leverage and flexibility do you need to stand up for what's right? Like, they have no bosses. There is no one who can do anything with them. They are billionaires. 
Do what's right because it's right, not because you're trying to make a buck. You don't need any more. Your house can't get any bigger. You don't need another plane or helicopter or yacht. Like, be free, be honest, and be truthful in this moment. Don't come out and say it because you think it's right or because you think it's going to sell tickets or appease your players. Say it because you have the luxury to be able to say and do the things that are important in this moment because can't nobody do nothing to you. They can take things from me. They can take things from your employees. They can't take nothing from you. Be honest and be true to who you are and be true to what you believe in. That's a wrap for the hot list and the entire Blitz at 6 Hour. Danny and Gwant coming your way in seconds right here on 710 ESPN Seattle.